Shooters Connection offers products for competition shooters by competition shooters. With over 80 years of combined competition shooting experience, Shooters Connection is staffed by master and grandmaster shooters who live the shooting sports every day. Every day. We offer same-day shipping. Shooters Connection also sponsors over 100 of your matches every single year. So when it comes to finding everything you need to compete as a beginner or a seasoned grandmaster, Shooters Connection is the only name you need to know. Online at ShootersConnectionStore.com. Welcome back to The Hit Factor. This is Jeremy. We have Jeff with us as well. And special guest tonight, Vince Lucchetti. Uh, Vince is running for the Area 8 director. And uh, so we've had him on just to ask him some questions and help help let some people get to know Vince a little bit better. Uh, Vince, where where do you live currently? Right now, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Latrobe? Well, if you live in Latrobe, it's Latrobe. But if you're not from Latrobe, it's Latrobe. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. an odd little it's an odd little thing that we have going on here. That's all. I I've never I've never heard of Latrobe. Uh how big is Latrobe? Right now 8500 people at its height back in the 70s it was 16,000 with the steel mills and everything else. But we have Arnold Palmer, we have Mr. Rogers, summer home of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh wow! First airmail delivery in the United States. First professional wow. football team. You know, little stuff like that. That I mean, it sounds like like Americana right there. Just straight <laughs> Americana all the way through. Well, the, the great part of Americana is the birthplace of the banana split. Was here. Was in in Latrobe. Was in Latrobe. Strickler's Drugstore in Latrobe. I find that. I want to it's argue cool. with that because I find, like, how do they prove that it was the first one? <laughs> well, but, that's what the towns do. They go ahead and make the claim, and whoever whoever does it first, you know, you got it first, whether it was right. actually first or not. But history oh, seems awesome. to support the, uh, the notion, so we're going to go with that. Coming to downtown Latrobe, there's this giant banana split that sits oh. where the building that it was first put in used to be. Awesome, okay, uh, cool. I, like it, I kind of want to visit Latrobe now. To be to be completely honest, I I didn't know that I down. wanted to visit Pennsylvania. But is there any place in Latrobe that makes like a pretty kick ass banana split? Valley Dairy. Valley it's Dairy. a ice cream store, uh, shop. Okay. They kind of have taken the mantle on and are the premier. Uh, but you should come when the banana split festival is going on. Then you can have oh. a good time. Oh, all right. Bucket list. There we go. See, this week is Mr. Rogers week. So all all this week, Latrobe is closed down some streets. There's all these celebrations and different things going on for Mr. Rogers. That's nice. awesome. Jeremy, did you watch Mr. Rogers? Uh Yes, but not like it wasn't like a staple that I watched like a lot. Like I I did, but it wasn't it wasn't like super influential mm -hmm. on my yeah. life. Um, much more familiar with Arnold Palmer uh, than, okay. than Mr. Rogers. All right, we'll take that. Um, okay, yes. so we're gonna we're gonna get kind of so that we the last one was was really long. Hopefully, we won't be quite as long. 
since we only have one candidate tonight. But so, okay, so for the people who don't know, like, I assume people that are in Area Eight know what Area Eight is. But I don't actually. Obviously, I know Pennsylvania is in Area Eight. But what all? What all states are inside Area Eight? Yeah, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, Washington D.C., um, Maryland, Virginia, and some places in West Virginia that we've kind of poached to have matches in are considered Area Eight. Okay. So, which you guys are somewhat, you guys have some unique challenges in Area Eight. This isn't really part of our questions, but you guys have some unique challenges with. New York, D.C., like there's a lot of just more restrictions and laws that you guys kind of have to deal with uh, to be able to put matches on up there than other parts of the country don't. I mean, area four, middle of the country, we don't deal with that. Yeah, not not too many much. restrictions, but the folks from New York like to come down here and shoot a lot. We get them at a lot of our uh, section matches and area matches down in this particular area. Mm -hmm. But um, nothing that's too onerous. For anybody okay. to deal with, it's only whenever we go up their way right. that there are any kind of issues. Uh, New Jersey has the high cap magazine ban, but that, again, there's always ways to deal with those things. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get straight into these questions. Uh, so the first question for tonight is: is why do you want to be an area director? Well, I've been a section coordinator for six years earlier uh, from 2008 to 2014 and got a look at what it was those area directors were doing and uh, received a lot of feedback from my clubs and members of the clubs uh, of my section that they felt that given what they've seen with others doing, I would make a, a good area director. And I, I pondered that for a while. Um, didn't really look at doing it until a lot of what's been going on with the board over the last several years started happening. And all of a sudden my attention got turned to it and I'm just scratching my head at this, uh, what I considered poor leadership mm -hmm. because there were a lot of financial issues that were coming up that the board and the finance people there should have taken care of. There were, what I considered lapses in leadership whenever it came to dealing with the then president and his behaviors, which precipitated by law, well, precipitated him being yeeted and then um, bylaw changes, which then yeeted the new president. So it just, it just made it more of an issue that, you know, I could stand around and bitch about it at the range like everybody else is doing, or I could do something about it. And I chose to do something about it, which is just throw my hat into the ring and offer myself as what I consider to be a viable alternative to the other candidates that were there, which at the time was Ted and Russell. Then Ted eventually had to drop out because he became the president. And then it was just myself and Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think you, you feel you're, you're representing a lot of people's frustrations, uh, with given the last couple of years. I don't, I don't remember exactly when, when things started really kind of going haywire. 
uh, but well, they've been haywire for a number of years mm-hmm. when it comes to the finances and and everything else that were going on. It just became this dysfunctionality amongst the board members that really became more aggravating because having been in public office, you're you're with other people that were elected to take care of something. And that's fundamentally what the board was elected for. Area 8 just doesn't represent Area 8. It, it also, in its own way, impacts Area 6, Area 7, all the other areas. And likewise, they, they all impact here. And it just seemed that there was no longer a common vision or a common focus on the members and the member clubs. It just seemed to shift over to a revenue-producing machine to generate money to take care of nationals. Yeah. And when I started, the organization wasn't so much about nationals as it was about the members. And then it shifted over time so that revenue and, and nationals became the, the reason for the existence. And when you look at it, USPSA is not the board of directors. It's our local clubs. When anybody goes out, that's USPSA to them. And when you start getting that disconnect that it looks like leadership is no longer interested in what the members have to say or what the members would like to see, and they simply go their own way, uh, then you're not a, uh, a representative of your members. You're just your own little um, oligarch doing whatever it is that you want to go ahead and do. Yeah. So, I mean, that leads me into one of the questions that we had is, uh, and maybe you've already addressed it, but, but we'll ask it anyways. Do you think an AD is there to be a voice for the people in his area or is he elected because people like and trust his judgment? And so then he can just simply rely on his own judgment. You're elected to represent the people that put you there. Okay. And while they do rely on your judgment, your judgment should be such that you're staying in contact with those members, whether it's directly through the section coordinators, through the match directors, so that you're not just doing your own thing, thinking that you're speaking for the people that you represent. If you're not getting that feedback, if you're not getting any type of involvement with them, all you're doing is what you want to do. And then you've no longer represented them. And then you've lost that trust. Because if they, you if you can't represent them, you can't help anybody in Area 7 or Area 5 or Area 6 because you're doing your own thing that may not be in, in conjunction with what membership across the country are wanting people to do. And that, to me, is what that board should be doing, is representing them by actually representing them, not doing their own thing, thinking that they are or thinking that they know better than all the members in their in their uh, area, but that they're actually listening to them. Yeah, so uh, let's go. I'm going to go into this just a little bit more. We're just going to take a, a current topic, so limited optics. Okay, first, mm-hmm. I'm just like, what do you think about the provisional division of limited optics? If I remember months and months ago, it was, we're not going to be doing limited optics. 
and a lot of the membership said, good, we don't want limited optics. And then here we are, provisional division, that's minor only. I mean, you're taking part of DVC away whenever you're making this new provisional division minor only, whenever you're utilizing a platform that really is better suited for major than it is for minor. My opinion. Okay. But so, I was not involved in any of the discussion, which obviously something happened at headquarters that they decided to do what they wanted to do without real member involvement. And this is where we're at. Yeah. I don't know okay, if I so, answered your question. Well, no, you're giving me, you're giving me kind of good, uh, a good way to ask another question. So you would personally prefer it be basically take limited division and simply allow red dots on top of that, which would mean keeping major and, 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 and minor as part of it would be as part of it as well, but you would keep major in it. Uh, so the, yes. the question then is, uh, even though that's your personal opinion, if you got feedback from your constituents in, in area eight, uh, that really the majority of them really prefer it to be a minor division, uh, that they're, mm -hmm. they're not interested in 40 anymore. Uh, as far as how would you then approach that approach that dichotomy of you thinking personally having opinion one way and you're getting uh, opinions of a different different view? Well, my opinions become secondary because when I go to vote, I'm voting as the Area 8 director, representing the members of Area 8. I'm not representing what Vince would prefer, but what the members prefer. And if I was challenged at that in a meeting of why I, even though I may have expressed A and now I'm voting for B, I would have that documentation that all those members gave to me, whether I sent out surveys or telephone calls or emails or whatever vehicle I might use to gain as much information as possible. Then I would have that supporting documentation to say, this is why I'm voting this way. While I don't personally want it, or I may not even personally shoot it, this is what the members in my area want, and that's who I represent, and that's how I'm going to cast my vote. Okay, uh, so you know, part of that part of that challenge that I see currently is that a lot of people I hear a lot about people contacting area directors like their area director or all the area directors and and then the, and they get no feedback whatsoever and so then we hear from the area directors on a certain issue like well i didn't hear any i never heard anything really i got a lot of in-person feedback but i never really heard anything from anybody uh about about this certain issue so i i just kind of was, just voted however i wanted to uh, so there's this issue of people well, why would I email you? Because I never hear anything back from you anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so well, like, how do you handle that? You respond to their email. I mean, <laughs> that's, I know it sounds kind of trite, but you've been elected to serve them. Mm -hmm. And the very least you can do is acknowledge them. I mean, it's just plain rude to ignore them in the first place. And second, again, that was your duty and responsibility for the, to these people that elected you is to go ahead and let them know what's going on. This is part of that transparency that people are complaining about 
is that, you know, you're not telling us anything. Well, to tell people something, you got to communicate to them. And whether that's via email or returning a phone call or being um, addressed with a half a dozen people at the next local you go to shoot or a section match or an area, that's your job is to take that, is to listen to them and to respond. Whether you say, well, you know, this is why I did it or that's why I did it. At least you're responding to them. Tell them something. And if the answer is, I don't know, say, I don't know. You know, people will respect you for that. Um, and you let them know that I don't know, but I'll get back with you on a particular issue. Or, you know, no, this is why I'm taking this particular stance because I've gotten this from 37 other people or 40 or whatever it is. But again, it's making sure you've got that documentation or something to back up why it is you're doing or not doing something that you said you're going to. Yeah, I I fully agree with that. Uh, you know, and I, I think like the idea of using surveys could be could be really beneficial for the board. You know, they they did some surveys here recently and they were really and it, I admitted on their part they were kind of half baked questions. They weren't like the questions weren't really great questions and the, and so mm -hmm. you, if you don't ask good questions in a survey then the survey results don't mean a whole lot well, right um, but I, garbage I, in garbage out correct uh but i do think there you know as far as having a, a way to communicate with people i love hearing the idea of of an area director that wants to at least put surveys out there to at least give people a chance to respond in some some form of mm -hmm. fashion uh, right. Uh, instead of waiting for somebody to email you, people aren't going to do that. They right. they have to get to a point of being incredibly PO'd before mm -hmm. they start sending you something. And uh, maybe they're emotionally charged emails. Regardless, you're going to get those. That's part and parcel of anybody who gets elected to anything, whether it's school board or area director or, you know, or whatever. Even as a section coordinator, you would get that. And you're elected only by the match directors. So you're getting all of this, you're getting all this negative uh, feedback from members and you still have to respond to it. That's mm -hmm. your job. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. I like to hear that. Um, so then, so again, this kind of leads into this question is how do you handle criticism? Like, like you personally, like in the past, like how have you handled criticism? Well, I've been in management and administration for decades, and you're receiving criticism from everybody. I was in healthcare, so you would receive criticism from the patients about billing that you had nothing to do with, about their care or the way they thought that this nurse or doctor treated them. Again, you take a position, and that's part of the responsibility that goes with it, is that you have to accept the fact that there are going to be there will be people that are unhappy with what you do or the organization that you represent does. And you've got to be able to deal with it in a uh, non-personal, incredibly professional manner. So yeah, did we all make mistakes when we first started doing that at the beginning? Heck yeah. But we learned how to talk to people, how to listen to people. Um, and that's probably the bigger key in handling criticism is listening. 
because sometimes you just shut it off before it even gets to your brain and you respond in a negative fashion. So it is taking the time to listen because if you listen, you're going to find that kernel, that little nugget that's going to allow you to reach that person whenever you put together your answer to them. Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, I, I don't know that we've uh, we've seen that from a lot of our area directors uh, in recent times as there have been a lot. Well, of I, I don't know how many systems. of our area directors really have that customer service background or experience. Uh, I mean, maybe all of them should have worked in retail at one point in time. They would have learned how to deal with criticism and people, uh, you know, letting them know they're everything but a human being. But again, I don't know enough about them to know what their backgrounds are. But that's the that's the part that you look at when somebody is looking for positions like that is where did they come from? You know, what it was there? What did they do in the past? How were they in situations where they had to deal with criticism, with managing budgets, with all of those other things? And that's not the major part, but it's a significant part of why you want to choose somebody is because they've shown that they're able to uh, handle that. They're able to rationally talk to individuals, whether it's the CEO or the, or the janitor or the guy that's mowing your lawn or, you know, that you have that ability to communicate and you don't um, just talk down to people, which is another problem that the board seems to have of being very yeah. condescending and, um, uh, lackadaisical in their respect to the members. They love us whenever they need ROs and people to put stages together and matches together. But whenever it comes to the really substantive parts, it's like you guys need to stay in your lane. We're the smartest people in the room. So just back off. We'll tell you what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think you hit it somewhat on the head as far as you could be the greatest area director that that the sport has ever seen and be the kindest person, be the smartest person, like like have the best leadership and you're still going to get criticism. Like absolutely. Like you're going to get like vehement criticism mm -hmm. even if you're the best ever. And if if you can't handle that as then you really can't be in that position. You uh, shouldn't be in that position. And unfortunately some people get promoted to their level of incompetence. That's sort of a deal, but yeah. um, uh, but, you, but you're exactly right on on. You could be the greatest thing since sliced bread, but if you're not able to deal with those, which are really minor issues, if you again, if you look at it from the perspective of having done that for years, it's no big deal. But if you've never really done it, or you're never you've never learned to be good at it. Um, you're going to go ahead and fail. Let's remember, can't make everybody happy. Right. And as soon as you understand that, then you know that I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do the right thing. If, if if my philosophy is to support my members on what they want, that's the, that's the only path you go down. Mm -hmm. And no matter what criticism and and uh, uh, compliments you get, that's the path. Once you know your path, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're going to change a little bit of change gears. We may come kind of come back to that, but 
in my opinion, one of the biggest responsibilities of an area director is their area match like that. Like, mm-hmm. yes, you're, you're to be at board meetings and, and do all that. Uh, but the almost your biggest re- real like time commitment responsibility is putting on the area match or or finding somebody else to delegate it to um so i guess the like the first question is kind of would you be running it yourself or or, or somebody that you would delegate it to and then the really the main question is what do you think makes a great match what i think makes uh, i'll answer the second question question first because it leads to the first one the match director makes the match he or she is the is that most important linchpin in making that a great match and the reason i know that is not only from being at some great area matches but when i was section coordinator i never put together a single section match in those eight years or six years but I had some incredible match directors and it was why would I do something that I may not necessarily be as good at as somebody who does it all the time. And that's what I relied on in when I was section coordinator was great match directors. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we met, we talk about it. Um, my biggest job was to get clubs to want to do it which is nice yeah. to you know try to convince somebody and and go through the numbers and, and everything else that goes with that but you get that great match director and you you let them run with it you know you're there to provide certain guidance and you know put some limits on what they may want to go ahead and do but they know their range they know the the uh, the shooters in the area in the section let them do what they do best and let me do what I do best which is help you behind the scenes. I'll facilitate getting the obstacles out of your way so you can do the best job that you can in putting on a match. And I would do that same thing at an area level is find that, uh, you know, find the club, find that match director and let him or her just run with it, you know, with information and feedback from other match directors because everybody wants to see a great section match. Everybody wants to see a great area match. Um, for the longest time, the section always would have certain stages that were provided by other clubs. Mm-hmm. So it gave that buy-in and some nice uh, flavor because each of the clubs had their own flavor to it. And that's what I think makes an interesting section match and an interesting area match. Because if you can get stages either provided by other clubs or the the full stage and staff to run it at that particular match, you get this, it's like a stew. You get this beautiful medley of, you know, vegetables and meat and spices and all that because each one adds a certain flavor to it. Um, I don't think all field courses are a good, good one. Uh, okay. I, I think that, Nobody likes to have a track meet, but a shooting challenge, an absolute shooting challenge, you know, even if it's 20, 20 rounds, 12 rounds, as long as it's a shooting challenge. I mean, that's what we're that's what we're all about, not track meets and hoser fests, but something that challenges us as shooters. Uh, and it should go in a 
in a stepwise fashion of here you got a local match, here you got a level two that tests more things than what you would get at your typical um, level one. And then just again, build up to that so that at level three, you're testing an awful lot more. Um, I, I think we've lost some of that because we've let standards go away and other things that really test our shooting abilities um, to get uh, to get to high round counts and you know just hoser fests and and things that just I think detract from the sport that really is supposed to be about the power the the uh, the accuracy the speed get that medley so that we're we're always constantly reinforcing what USPSA is all about. There's that DVC is on that cover for a reason. And I don't wonder, I even wonder if uh, people remember what it means anymore. Yeah. I, you know, last, last time when we had, when we had Matt and Ben on, I, I probably talked too much, but I can't help myself here. Like I, I do, I do agree that, that we are, we're in danger currently as an organization of losing the power part of the equation. Uh, and there's there's this like there's a an external push to lower the power factor and open. Uh, there's you know all the carry optics obviously is minor, limited optics is minor. Uh, there's this push towards just shooting minor and even getting rid of 40 cal in limited because it's kind of an obsolete cartridge now. And uh, you know I understand that from a practical like I understand that kind of that practical side as far as like most people are carrying a shooting nines. And so mm -hmm. there is that practical manner of it, but also part of our sport is, is the power and the recoil management. And can you do that and do that Ooh. quickly? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I personally hope that we don't lose that. Uh, but that's, you know, when we kind of went back to our, going back to our question of, of polling the, uh, polling the members and what they want that, that may be a thing that popularity wise might, if you went strictly on a popularity vote, you might lose, we might lose the power equation of DVC. Well, again, and then you have to balance. You, you still have to define what the organization is and you have to support that. You have to live that philosophy. Mm -hmm. So any decisions that you make still have to come back to what is the core of USPSA? Why does it exist? And I and and again, yes, we could poll everybody, but then we also have to consider our philosophy, our moral gui our, our moral guide rod that's that's sitting here. Of this is why this sport was invented. This is what it's all about. Are we willing to lose that because of popularity? Revolvers aren't that popular anymore, but they're still there. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that that uh, yeah we. Nothing exists in a vacuum, and we have to take that into account that, right, the popular thing is we're going to do that because all the brass rats, when they hit the range to pick up brass, don't like sorting out those other cartridges because they get them all mixed up and everything. You know, let's get rid of 9 by 21 because it kind of looks like a 9 by 19 and I pick it up by accident. And, you know, all of the kind of things like that happen. But we can't lose sight of what the sport was invented for, what the sport is all about. Yeah. And I, you know, I certainly appreciate at least like, at least hearing like that, that you do 
hold a bit of tension there. And like, I want to, I want to be true to the sport and to the tenets of the sport. And I want to be true to what the majority of people that I represent want as well. And sometimes there is a tension. Sometimes those things aren't totally uh, uh, in sync with each other. And there's, there's mm -hmm. some tension, but I, I appreciate that you're at least willing to, to kind of speak to that tension that I think bodes well as far as communication towards that. Um, so going, going back to the match thing, I, I kind of, I took us down a rabbit hole, which I, I tend to do. Uh, but so going back to the match thing, are there like what, what ranges uh, are available, capable of hosting an area match? How, how big do you think an area match, you know, is 10 stages. Is that too small for an area match? Uh, is 25 stages too many, like kind of from the structure of the match, what do you, what do you think? Well, from a size perspective, I mean, Fredericksburg put on some fantastic matches over the years. Um, I worked a, a good number of those on Talani also in, uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, greater Pittsburgh gun club, a new club has adequate ranges, uh, adequate number of bays. And they're planning on an area match in 24, I believe it is. Um, okay. So they could put that on. Shadowhawk, which is in West Virginia, uh, they put on a great Area 8 match. Um, East Huntington in Western Pennsylvania hasn't had an area match for a number of years, but they are capable of doing it. Pitcairn Monroeville, another club that is capable of doing it. We have watched, I've, I've been doing this for what, 21 years, 22 years, and have watched section matches go from eight, 10 stages now to 12, 14, 16 stages. Um, area matches from 16, 18 stages to, you know, 21, 22, 23, you know, just a, a high number of stages. Again, there's another thing for a balance there. Do you want a lot of stages that aren't necessarily shooting challenges? Or would you like a 13 round or 13, um, 13 stage area match that tests your shooting ability? So I'm, I'm torn between the two. When I was younger, I didn't mind the track meets. But now, now that I'm older, I can't go ahead and run those uh, those long bays and go from side to side as fast as I used to. And I appreciate the shooting challenge more. But we've got younger shooters that are coming into the game, and they're demanding a different type of match to come on. So it's taking all that into consideration uh, with the match directors who are hearing it directly that, you know, I, uh, this this match you had sucked because – there were too many high round count stages or not enough high round count stages. So I, I can't tell you from year to year what's going to be the flavor of the month for a for an area match or a section match. It would be nice to be able to, but it is, again, working with those match directors and having input from other people to be able to design that ideal area match that is going to keep people wanting to come back year after year. Yeah, so I mean, it sounds like your your philosophy is really not such that hey, I have this uh, I have this idea that I think an area match should look like this. More that hey, the first year we're going to I'm going to get the best match director I can. He's going to put a match on the ground, 
and then and then after that i would I, we will we will take the feedback that we get and make adjustments accordingly to that feedback to try to give give the best match possible oh absolutely and there's probably feedback to be gathered from the first time whoever wins the election um for the next area match that from the previous one that's just sitting there waiting to be gathered together by getting the people to uh to talk about it um I always liked to get multi-year commitments for section matches when I was section coordinator, two or three years, mm -hmm. because, yeah, it's a considerable investment that first year, but then those next couple of years, you've already invested most of the money for props and everything else, so that becomes more money for the clubs. Um, also gives you the opportunity to bring in more range officers the next year because you're going to do it bigger, better, faster, or whatever you do, um, and to get things taken care of. That's the other part that, that makes for a great area match is happy staff. Making sure you take care of your range officers, um, whether it is with the at a prize table, at the staff dinner, um, hotel accommodations, all the, all the various and sundries that we now have to, to do to put on a great match in the track the best range officers to come and work those matches, which also builds up to that area match being a great match because my God, you got fantastic range officers. These mm -hmm. guys are wonderful. That yeah. makes or break a, a match as well. You know, oh, absolutely. It's a good, yeah. It's a good mix of seasoned individuals and new people that are just learning to be ROs and coming in to, to, to work a match for the first or second time. We yeah. all were there at one point. Absolutely, uh, and it it sounds like you guys have have lots of ranges capable of hosting an area match, so that's that's a good problem to have. Um, and I, you know, I I actually appreciate the sense of having a having it be at a, at the same place for at least a few consecutive years mm -hmm. in that as a shooter and somebody that travels to matches, it's really nice to kind of know what's like, know what a match is and know what's going on. Right. And so like, I mean like area three, for example, mm -hmm. just, just because it's, it's been in grand Island for at least the past, I mean, since I've been shooting for the past 11, 12 years, uh, it's been in grand Island and I don't have to, like, I just know that it's going to be in grand Island. I don't have to, <laughs> Like I, I know, I know what to expect. Like I know how to get to Grand Island. Mm -hmm. I know what hotels are good. I know what restaurants are good. Uh, like I just, you just know what kind of what to expect. I know where a place is if you need a COVID test. Uh, I, I know where that's at in Grand <laughs> Island. Uh, if you're, if you're uh, the person traveling with you is trying to kill you. Um, but like there's, there's somewhat it's, it makes travel more when it's different every single year. Uh, there are benefits to that. I'm not saying that there are not, but uh, if you find a good location, uh, uh, it can be, it can be very, I think very nice from a shooter standpoint to have it be in a similar place because you get used to it. Um, well, when you have a large area, I mean, it's six hours to go across Pennsylvania from one end to the other. So you've got Ontolani in one end, you've got greater pit at the other end, uh, you want to get as many people to go as possible, which is why you want to try to move it around. 
because as I said before, each one has this particular flavor, just like each of the local clubs you shoot has their own particular flavor. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, one club likes to use a lot of no shoots. Another one likes to make sure that targets are tucked in. You know, you've got to go to the very end of each fault line to go ahead and engage a target or two. That's just the, the philosophy each of those clubs has. So that provides a nice shooting challenge on those weekly matches, section matches, and then area matches, the same thing. Antolani puts on an entirely different match than does Shadowhawk, than does Fredericksburg, than did Pitcairn Monroeville. And that's just, that's just part of that exciting, um, vibe of shooting an area match that makes you want to go there. So it's not repetitive all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I've, I've, I certainly see that, see that side of it as well. Uh, okay. So here's a question that honestly, it's, it's gotten brought up a lot. I think it's gotten brought up a lot, quite a bit recently, especially kind of, the board versus kind of the board versus howler monkeys uh, is how they've been, <laughs> how they've been phrased. Uh, but is it a sport or is it a hobby? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, for some people that play the game, it is a sport for other people that play the game. It's just a hobby. Mm -hmm. So it, it is both. Um, you go through a progression or some shooters do that when they first start out, they're passionate about it. It is just, you know, they're, they're trying to get better. So that's a sport, you know, they're keeping, they're, they're doing everything they can to get better. Then they get to a certain point where life gets in the way and they can't be that same competitive sport focused individual, but they sure like hanging around at the club. I love the people that I shoot with. I've made the best friends in my life. And I just want to go hang with them. So all of a sudden it's shifted into a hobby for them. So, mm -hmm. but so that, that's the way I look at it. It is, it is both, you know, for, yeah. for the, for the really dedicated, it is a sport for those that just shoot every now and then it's, it's an absolute hobby. I got a follow up question on this one, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, please. So as as far as that goes, um, that it's it's a sport to some people, it's a hobby to some people. Um, what are your thoughts on how decisions should be made in the organization, say like from the top down, uh, when they're thinking about making changes to the organization, the bylaws and everything? What um, what's the the dynamic there as far as should decisions be made uh, from a this is a a sport mentality? We should be thinking about competitiveness and we should be thinking about uh, high level competitions and, and promoting, promoting that. Or we should be th thinking about uh, the hobbyists and trying to how, how to be the most inclusive, you know, to, to some degree, it's, it's all of that. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's go back to the founding principles again. It is to push the limits of practical shooting. So that makes it sport related, very competitive. That's part of what this sport is about. Um, you can play the game without being a high level shooter and still come out of it with a lot of satisfaction. You know, your goal might be just to not have any mics or not to hit a no shoot or get any penalties. Doesn't detract from what other people do 
but you still have again have to stay true to that purpose of the sport being founded to begin with which is to push the limits of practical shooting and you do that by um, making rule sets and well the bylaws don't affect the individuals at too much of a of a level but the rules have to be such that it supports both of those now did everybody like flashlights no did everybody like what was the other thing they did there's so many <laughs> yeah, yeah but yeah that was just one of the you know they I, I was not a big fan of the of flashlights, but I shoot with some people that are incredibly gifted and good, and they shoot with flashlights. So, okay, whatever works for you on that one. Again, not my necessarily my cup of tea, but you know, I'm not going to go ahead and stop you from doing it. I may laugh a little bit, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it. But when here, when they're kicking your butt, and their their splits and times are, you know. Eight seconds faster than you are. Well, you can't argue with success, you know. <laughs> so, as far as the flashlights go, how do you feel that decision contributed to the sport as a whole? I don't know the reason and the rationale behind it, other than they they were saying that it would bring in new members. So I can't speak to that because I've never had any documentation showing me from the board as to what the rationale was other than it will bring in new members. I don't know if they did a survey. I don't know if they have evidence that proves that in fact flashlight usage did increase membership by X percent in year one, but in year two it's not there or it's steady. I don't know. So that, you know, that kind of, kind of gets us to the next question as far as which is really kind of there's been a rash of bylaw changes uh, mm -hmm. and it really it really kind of started where they they made a huge wholesale change to a lot of bylaws and then they actually changed how that basically made it almost impossible to then change those bylaws uh, and those changes were all made without any sort of input and and the the problem that has that we have seen crop up multiple times through that is that uh, not all those bylaws have been thought through very thoroughly. Uh, and mm -hmm. there have been several unintended consequences of those, <laughs> of those bylaws that seem like they don't seem all that well thought out. Uh, so you, you're entering in this, in a unique position or a weird place. Uh, and how do we like, how do we handle these these bylaw changes, uh, and so what are your what are your thoughts on 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 all of the bylaw changes and whatnot? Well, the the bylaws have not changed for a number of years, and frankly, from experience in in other places, they should have been on a regular schedule to be evaluated and updated. You know, whether it's two years, five years, whatever, there usually is. A cycle. It's kind of like policies and procedures in an organization. They're either reviewed on a yearly basis and updated or discarded. Well, that didn't happen for a number of years. And then we had the um, incidents involving not the 
current former president, but the former former president Foley. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mike Foley. Yeah, um, where it appeared that because of what again to me was a failure in leadership, where the board should have been on top of that from the very beginning. Uh, they should have been addressing it with him now. Anecdotally, they say they talk to him, but you, you need to do more than that whenever you're dealing with something like that. But anyway, that happened. They get rid of him, and all of a sudden, these wholesale bylaw changes come out. Not little pieces, but just one huge conglomeration, uh, just an absolute mess that, as you said, uh, had all kinds of unintended consequences. Some of which, whenever they were presenting them, people in online forums were kind of commenting on what might happen. And mm -hmm. one of them was, <laughs> was exactly what we see here with DNROI, uh, with the absolute power that that position now seems to have over anybody who is a range officer, CRO, match director, um, range master, whatever it may be. Um, and it changed the focus of the organization from from what I considered member driven to now revenue driven. Because if you look at those changes in the very beginning of it, it changes the definition of why it exists. Mm -hmm. So um, and then taking power away from the president that, again, if they'd have been paying attention, he wouldn't have gotten to that particular point. And we wouldn't have had the board basically taking over the functionality of it so that the president is now a figurehead as opposed to an executive who was leading the organization. So instead of one voice leading, we now have eight and nine voices trying to lead. Mm -hmm. And whenever you have that kind of void in leadership, the stronger or the strongest personality kind of fills that void and everybody else falls in behind it. Um, to the detriment of that particular organization. So, uh, you know, I, I got off on a little tangent there and I apologize for that, but oh, okay. I, I think that, that to address that now, a smart executive, a smart board will recognize when it has made a mistake, admit it made a mistake and go back and fix it. Either hit a reset button and let's, redo this all over again, even if it was only a year or two ago, or you could try to stumble bumble through it like they're doing now, um, not paying any attention to the very bylaws they put in, and then violating those very bylaws. Um, <laughs> that's the irony of what's just happened, is that you have two individuals that ended up with the exact same problem. Um, one meaning not just, not having an RO certification, right? One who was just resigned because he did not have it anymore, using the very bylaw that they violated for the other director who had months to go ahead and get that RO certification. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the irony is lost on them that they ended up using that very same one to get rid of him that they ignored on the other guy. So when you have that, there's something fundamentally wrong with your bylaws or there's something fundamentally wrong with your board members or both. And 
you, you know, just hit the reset button, but stop. We screwed it up. We either go through and we fix all of these things. We remove some of that absolute power the DNROI has to nuke somebody out of a position for purely political gain. And let's get back to very commonsensical in, uh, uh, listings in there. So it's very clear, much like the banning, it's the same thing. Right. You don't like what somebody says, you ban them. You don't like that somebody did this, you ban them. Well, we got somebody that cheated, but that's okay. We're not going to ban them. So mm -hmm. you get, again, this, this incredible inconsistency. And if you had a human resources department looking at the way you're treating, you know, uh, staff and other people, they would be letting you know that you're a terrible violation of nine kinds of laws, eight ways to Sunday. You, you know, you're just inconsistent in your application of the very rules that you put in place. What good are the rules then? Uh, we, we, we're seeing that now with uh, targets. The, the recent shoulder issue with um, classifiers, well, you mm -hmm. can put them at different heights and, and move them back and forth for safety reasons, but it's still okay to call it a classifier. Well, no, it's not. Right. Or the Virginia count um, example on the, uh, on the NROI page several months back where they were just messing with us. But they, you know, then they went ahead and changed the rules anyway after everybody pointed out how you could shoot this particular Virginia count stage. So we're, we're so inconsistent in the very rules that we're, we're wanting to have people live by as shooters. And we ignore the very same bylaws, which are our rules on the board of directors. I, I just don't get it. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the most important things to being a good leader uh, is to have the trust of who you represent uh, and the trust of the people that you're leading. And the, the biggest challenge that the board faces right now, and, and even even you step, if if you won the election, if if that happened, uh, stepping in, you are autumn, then you are you are part of that board now. So mm -hmm. it, there's a, there's almost a taint that happens by becoming a board member, but but they have been so inconsistent with the, the bylaws and that, well, those are really rules for you guys and not rules for us so much mm -hmm. uh, that, that quite frankly, people don't trust them. Uh, and, right. and if, if, if the people you're representing don't trust you, then you've completely lost the ability to lead them. Because even if I can, even if I disagree, cause I'm, I don't love all the things around limited optics. I personally don't want to see a, limited major division with a slide right optic. I don't personally want to see that, but I can disagree with you on that and I can still trust your leadership. Mm -hmm. If you're still, if you're fall, if you're still operating underneath the bylaws and you are, you are showing a clear, like I am trying to do what's best for the sport. And you're, you're doing that under the rules uh, in a polite and uh, courteous manner. Like I can still trust you even if mm -hmm. I disagree with you. And that's something oh, I feel yeah. that we've certainly lost at this point. Um, with you know, many I, I, members I think of the board. I think you're right to a degree. Um, I think some people go into the elected position assuming that they are going to have respect and trust, but respect and trust are earned. Mm -hmm. You don't get it just because of a position. You get it because of your relationship to the people who elected you. Um, 
and you, you just can't walk in and do whatever the heck you want to go ahead and do. You're right on one thing, though. Anybody that gets on the board, like uh, what Scott and Frank now, even though they're kind of at odds with the legacy board, they're still covered by that taint whenever anybody says the board sucks. Well, guess what? Scott and Frank suck, too. You know, they're they're lumped into that. Their actions yeah. are showing that they could be trusted. Their actions are showing that they aren't there, but they're still lumped into that conglomerate. And anybody that gets in, like you said, myself or anybody else, um, has to will have to work to earn trust and show that you can respect me. You can trust me. I'm going to do what I'm saying I'm going to do. And if I can't, I'm going to tell you why, as opposed to, I don't have to tell you anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I appreciate that perspective. Uh, we do need to pause real quick uh, to thank our sponsors, uh, Shooters Connection, uh, as they have been for a long time. We're sponsoring this episode. Uh, so if you guys have anything that you need shooting related wise, they have been in the business for a long time, sponsoring matches, running matches, shooting matches. They are involved at all levels of the sport and, they have fantastic inventory and their shipping is lightning quick. Uh, so if you need anything, uh, please use the link um, that we have to go to Shooters Connection. That just kind of helps show that, hey, you guys you guys have heard about them through us. Uh, and and go get whatever, whatever it is that you need. I'm personally low on pasters and I need to put an order in and I'm sure I will find a lot more than just pasters to, uh, <laughs> to put on my order, but, but I, I know I need to get that, get one of those orders put in. So please go visit them. And then Jeff, do we have any shout outs? We have a shout out from, uh, Jed and shooting he says shout out to the future of the shooting sports open revolver. <laughs> also a huge congrats to the hit factor zone. Jay Beal on the outstanding performance at the Trident Armory match. Yes, that was, uh, yes, shout out to JBL. And he is, he pops into the, the discord here and there. JBL does. So. Yeah. That match at, uh, this is a total off, offside, but the match at, at Trident Army, him and Mason, uh, so Jay and Mason finished shooting. Um, and Jay was ahead like statistically they were almost both a hundred percent. It was, it was the smallest of smallest margins. Uh, but they had, there was one stage that both of them shot. I think both of them had a penalty on. And so then I think two days after Jay finished shooting, somebody else shot and won that stage. And mathematically then it was enough of a change that Mason actually, they swapped places and oh. Mason Mason actually won the match. I think, I think it was a single match point is where Mason won that match. Uh, wow. So there's a, there's an interesting thing with hit factor math uh, that a lot of people kind of, it gets, it gets deep into the math a little bit. Um, yeah. They were really hashing it out in the discord. I honestly still don't really understand it, but I haven't tried terribly hard, but man, for, for like, it felt like a couple hours they were hashing the math out in the discord. 
to be fair, Jeff was homeschooled in Oklahoma, so math probably wasn't, wasn't <laughs> hey, real high I, on I lived in Oklahoma for a while. Don't say anything about Oh, no. Me. You might have just lost <laughs> <Hey>. the vote. <laughs> I went to graduate school at the University of Oklahoma, so I was in Norman for a few years. Oh, you definitely there just you lost go. my vote. There you go. Dadgum Sooners. First person to come on here and <laughs> said something positive about Oklahoma. <laughs> I liked Oklahoma. Enjoyed it. I mean, it was different from Pennsylvania. I moved out there and I go from rolling hills and mountains to flat everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty flat. Not as flat as where Jeremy lives. Uh, if you want to see real flat, you need to go visit Lubbock, Texas. Uh, if you really want to see flat. Uh, they, yeah. So, okay, so we're getting we're getting close to the end of our questions. Um, I think this is a question that it almost has to come up because because we're just – they're coming up with new ones all the time, it seems like. But divisions, uh, do we have too many? Are, are, is there such thing as too many? Should we should we try to limit? Just this is really kind of again. You've you've already said that you will want to poll the people that you represent, but just personally, what do you? How do you feel about the divisions that we have? Well, I liked production optics when it came out. I thought that was a great idea. For older people like myself, with no production optics. When oh, okay. it first came out, it was production the optics. The provisional yeah. division, yeah. yeah. Ten rounds. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, I liked carry optics when it came in. I don't necessarily know if carry optics is going to be rolled into limited optics or not. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I think if you listen to the vendors, they would love to see that because it would mean they could slap magwells and design guns with a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, there probably is going to be another division coming in somewhere. I don't know what the thoughts are. You know, who knows what the firearm is going to be in five years? You know, I'd, I'd hope we don't add another division for another five or six years at least. Let's let these settle out and, and, and see what survives and what doesn't survive. Um, I just don't want to see us have enough divisions that it seems like participation trophies for a bunch of people because they can't shoot this gun well or shoot that gun well, or they don't want to shoot that, uh, you know, a, a major power factor. You know, what are we going to get? A 22 long rifle division at some point? I mean, come on. So, I mean, do you think we should? we should limit it. Like we shouldn't have more than six divisions. I'm, I'm just picking a number. Do you think there should be some sort of limit on that? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, Cause I primarily shot production and carry optics. So my intimacy with a bunch of the other divisions isn't there, but I, I'll tell you, I shoot with a bunch of people that have shot a whole bunch of other divisions and they would be more than happy to share with me their opinion on whatever those other divisions would be, because I can't, I can't speak to that. I can't speak whether revolver should stay or go. Um, you know, 10 round limit. I'd like to see go. That would be nice to see go away. But um, no, I have my, my mind is very open when it comes to that. I, I can't unequivocally say that there should be, you know, uh, six, you know, is six enough? 
Is 10 too many? Is 3 enough? Is 6 too many? So can't give you an answer on that one. I'm sorry. So you're pretty Get back pretty with me in a couple years if I get elected. Then I might sure. have an answer. Well, you know, and I mean, at the local level, it's almost irrelevant how many divisions you have because yeah. you kind of all end up just getting combined together, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, at least that's my experience where I'm at. Like I don't, we don't have enough shooters to really look a lot at at a individual type stuff. And and again, the local deal is is kind of almost a how just let people be involved as best they can at the local mm-hmm. level. But oh, we're getting 50 to 70 shooters okay. at every local match minimum. So, okay. you know, for for our area in western Pennsylvania, um, they're they're pretty full. And I know in the eastern side of the state, there are matches that fill up within eight minutes of being announced with oh, wow. 100 shooters. I mean, there is just a, there's just a boatload of people that are doing it. Wow. Um, but the, the challenge gets the biggest money draw in USPSA is nationals and salaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so the more, the more divisions you get, the more nationals you have to put on, uh, which, which dilutes that this kind of gets back to the, the sport versus hobby is then you also dilute what it means to win a national title. If you have, if we add, if we add even more, more divisions, uh, then, okay, then you can only, only so many people can compete in them. And so winning a national title becomes a lot less because there's 20 national titles to be won in a year. I'm mm-hmm. just, if we just added a whole lot more divisions that we have. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and you'd get the same people that are winning in each of them, you know, they're shooting in each of them because they're, they're so spaced out that you get those same people shooting multiple divisions, you know, across the board. Uh you know, you could probably add more divisions and have more nationals, but you would have to probably raise the uh, price of the slots because the more nationals you have, the more people you're going to need to work them. The more people you need to work them, the more people you're going to have to uh, provide hotels, um, food, all the various and sundries that you need to put on uh, a nationals match, especially if it's multi-day. So by raising the price of that slot, that might be a limiting factor on who's signing up for it so that you're not diluting it because only those people that really absolutely want to shoot it, let's say it's $350 or $400. That's just the, that's just for the slot. Then you've got the hotel reservations and everything else for three or four days. So it, it kind of, um, settles the water a little bit and and winnows out those in the, you know, the wheat from the chaff for lack of a better term that it's only the people that are really serious about it that are going to be dropping those kind of dollars to go ahead and and compete in those particular national matches so you're not necessarily diluting the um the the pool of people that are shooting you're probably tightening it up a little bit more so that what you are having are are more of your um, more serious, higher class, higher ranked shooters that are going there. Now, yes, you're still going to get, uh, you know, C and B folks that show up because they want to test themselves against the best and they know they're not going to, to win, but they just want the, the actual enjoyment and the challenge of it. So they're not, they're not hobbyists anymore. They're more into the sport of the sport. 
if you know what I mean. Yeah. All right, I got. I have one more question. I really appreciate uh, Vince your time tonight. This is this is from our very own Potato. Uh, potato for hire. This is is what we call him. Um, he he has he has this philosophy, and I I somewhat agree with this sentiment, because especially when I mean you've you've been in the sport for almost twice as long as I have. Uh, but and when I got in the sport, like, and I started competing at going to nationals very quickly uh, and, and trying to compete as best as I could very, very early on. But I didn't know or care who my area director was at all. And, and to be honest, like it almost didn't matter because we didn't hear about them. Like they weren't, it wasn't something we heard about a lot. The rules were stable. Like mm-hmm. you just, you knew what you got all the time. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's almost a, if you're not paying attention every two weeks to the the minutes that come out and watch like you don't like the sport is changing constantly and so his question is is how oh i lost it um how will you persuade the board to meet less govern less do less and break less uh basically like how can we hear about the how can the board be less involved in our lives as shooters or do you think they should be yeah, I, I I think they should be more involved in the local clubs and supporting them. Okay. Um, and less involved in the drama and everything else that is going on on a regular basis. Uh, we don't know what's going on because we don't have any decent minutes to let us know what's going on. So, you know, you, you've got that gem there, but I don't disagree. Meeting for the sake of meeting is useless. I hated that in the corporate world, and I, I just hate it even more now, uh, particularly when they're always either going into executive session or kicking the can down the road that, well, we're going to have another special meeting, and we're going to plan another special meeting in three weeks. Uh, if you're If you're spending time in meetings, you're not spending time meeting with your members. So, you know, you, you need to spend the time meeting with your members and not going back and forth on all this other um, stuff that's going on. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah, or your potatoes I mean, questions. Sure. Uh, you know, and I, I, I think you, I think you somewhat hit it on the head with, with the drama stuff, how much time has been spent worrying whether we need to ban Ben Steger, or we need to ban Derek Lewis, or we need to ban whoever, else patrick uh uh brown like whoever else that they've banned his has been his suspension has been revoked but uh like all this time that they're spending on that and it's like do we really does the board even need to spend time on that because quite frankly if they had not spent any time on it if they had just ignored it how quickly would that stuff have just gone away and not it been would have issue? gone away like it's as soon as they did that it was another one of your law of unintended consequences. You drew yeah. attention to what? I can't voice my opinion now. And that that goes through the ranks like wildfire because we all bitch and complain about things whenever we're at the range. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the social aspect of it. You know, you got to <laughs> go there and do that. Come on now. Right. You need some outlet <laughs> for that at some point. Uh well, Vince, yeah. I'm I'm out of questions. Jeff, do you have any questions? 
Uh, now, we had one more question on there from Austin, uh, which was pretty interesting. Um, so he was asking, he thought it would be interesting to hear uh, if you had any ideas on possibly bringing experts in or maybe in addition to board members to put on uh, committees for, for special decisions or anything like that. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, absolutely. I think people are forgetting, you know the people that you shoot with. Are they are there are a lot of incredibly talented and smart people out there, and I remember reading a comment that uh, my area director made about well anybody that's on social media commenting can't know as much as we know. That's that's a paraphrasing, and I'm looking at all the people that I know that I shoot with that are absolutely brilliant physicians, uh, uh, CPAs. Machinists, they just have this, this skill set that just encompasses almost everything. And yet we're having a board that thinks they're the smartest people in the room and those eight or nine people have to take care of everything. Well, you know what? I wouldn't do that. I would be calling on my section coordinators, my match directors, people within my area that have expertise on something. And I'd like to get their opinion on stuff. Financial individuals, IT people, marketing people. Why, why are we only relying on this handful of people that are sitting in Washington State when we have all this expertise around the country in every single area, every single section that we have? Uh, I would want other people on committees. Why do I want to be on all these committees? That, that's ridiculous. It's like the meetings. Why do I want to go to all these meetings? You know, there are other people that can that can do this far better than I can. And they don't have to physically be there because we know the board doesn't physically meet. But once or twice a year, you know, you get them on the phone, you get them live streaming like we're doing now or, or you know, podcasting or, or you can get information to people so they don't have to be somewhere and let them get involved in it. There's no reason not to be involving members of our community that want to be there. That's not saying that everybody does, but if, if there are members that are fantastic in IT, for instance, and we would like to see our webpage become so much more than it is now, get them involved. Uh, if we wanted to get people involved in helping with practice score, we should get them involved. Why do we leave them out there? You know, this is a resource that we're squandering. It's low hanging fruit to reach out and ask for USPSA is putting out a call for IT folks that are knowledgeable about SQL. If you're interested in helping us out, respond to this here. You know, what? We need to reach out to our members. And um, I think we'll become, we would become a better and stronger organization if we shared the wealth. You know, if we let people know what's going on and ask them to help us. Nothing wrong with asking for help. You know, because we're floundering now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope good. I answered Austin's question or whoever that was, Jeff. Yeah, that was, that was a good answer. I, th I think you did. We do have another shout-out from our another Tier 2 patron member. It said, plug the Southwest shootout. I'm traveling to a place with a $37 hotel rooms because a couple guys from the Internet told me to. I'm probably going to get mugged, but Misery loves company. 
we can all get mugged. Sounds like a place <laughs> Jeremy would like to go. The Southwest Shootout is in uh, Clovis, New Mexico. Uh, first weekend of August, I believe. And so, yeah, uh, it's, it's close to my, it's close to where I live. Uh, so I'm, I'm planning on heading, heading over there to shoot that match. So uh, oh, that not... one did look like it was going to be badass. Like from the description they had on practice score, mm-hmm. I looked like it was going to be a sweet match. I would like to go to it. Yeah. I think it's going to be good. It's not full. Uh, so they, this is their, this is their first or second year i can't remember if they did it last year i, I did if they did it last year i didn't go this is their first or second year uh so uh if you're looking for a match to kind of take a chance on i think this is one that be worth taking a chance on and and coming to shoot it it should be all right be a yeah. long drive for me <laughs> it would be a long drive from uh pennsylvania yeah, yeah. uh you'd, you'd want to fly into either albuquerque or amarillo and and then be a, a shorter drive from there so well vince uh do you have anything else that we didn't ask or anything that you want to address or bring up or talk about no no just thank you for the opportunity to at least put my voice out there and let folks know that i am running and that um, i would like to have their vote to get on there and try to affect some change well i certainly uh, appreciate you coming on and being open to answer all of our questions and, and discuss stuff. I, I think people will get at least a pretty good idea of, you know, my, probably my biggest takeaway of the conversation with you is, is your strongest points going to be communication with, with the, with the members and then trying to empower people who have the skill set, the desire and the knowledge to, to be in whatever position they want to be and just try to help them uh, be as successful as possible. And I think that's what a good leader, a good leader does. Uh, so. Well, as, as I said earlier, we could stand around and bitch about it, or we could step up and do something about it. And that's, that's all you can ask. Yeah. And, and whether you, you win or lose the election, uh, I, I certainly appreciate you putting that message message out there that, Hey, we can, we can do better and be better as a sport. So yeah. I like the way and, you put uh, that. I'm going to write that down and steal it. There you go. <laughs> it's all yours. It's all Thank yours. Thank you very much. Jeremy, Jeff, have a good rest money. of the evening. I appreciate it. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, sir. Hearty have bye, guys. Evening.